Welcome to the First Dan Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we are back with another great interview for you guys. We haven't had one on in a while, but we've got a punter on today, folks. I'm joined today by Clark Riedel. Clark, how are we doing today, man? Good. We're doing good. I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, so. we are stoked to have you. We uh, we started with specialists. Our first two interviews were a kicker and a punter. So we're That's going back to our old stomping grounds Clark, I want to get into, you know, the early years for you coming out of high school into college. You ended up, for folks who don't know, you ended up punting at UW Stout, which is a small D3 school, similar conference for some perspective as a school called Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of our listeners, that's who Mount Union goes up against quite often in the Stag Bowl. So Whitewater is pretty well known, but Stout, no slouch themselves. How did you end up at Stout, though? What was the recruiting process like for you coming out? So it was a, a bit of a journey to get to Stout. Um, I went to Waukesha West in Waukesha, Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee. Um, my senior year, we actually you know, won state um, for Division I uh, football. We were the, like, the smallest school to do that. We played in Camp Randall, where Wisconsin plays, and um, that was an incredible experience and stuff like that. I didn't really have too many – per se people looking and um and the, i guess this will show my age i mean even back then i had a dvd of my highlights that i would have to uh give personally to people um we did have like a huddle thing it wasn't huddle it was a different thing so we we didn't really have act we had access to it but you had to know how to like cut it up per se um i had a guy that would try to help um, recruit um to other you know outreach for me at the time um and i had like official visits at like western uh, michigan was probably my my biggest at the time northern michigan um a couple others but uh the one i ended up going with was concordia st paul it's a division two school in uh, the twin cities um my, my visit was actually during the big snowstorm of the metrodome collapsed and we actually got stuck in our hotel my dad and i and uh, the coach which kind of sold it was the coach drove uh, when you weren't supposed to drive. No one, they, they shut down the roads and he drove and picked me up and said, I want you to punt here. We'll give you half a scholarship. And that sold me. So I ended up going and um, going there because I wanted a scholarship. Um, Western Michigan said like walk on and then some other D3 schools. Um, you know, I was really just like, I'm sure every high school, you know, athlete has that dream of getting a D1 or just a scholarship in general and I wanted to be there on signing day in high school and sign and um, you know have that experience so I, I did that um, the summer leading up to Concordia St. Paul the head coach uh, in a golf outing headbutted the dean and uh, the head coach then was fired so then the assistant coach uh, coach Williams was now the head coach. He actually helped recruit me, but then when I ended up coming in, um, they redshirted me and I actually did wide receiver scout team wide receiver while punting. And, um, they had a kicker, um, do all three who was really good. And he ended up playing for the giants and Bengals. So I guess I can't be too mad that that happened. Uh, but after one semester, um, this is a long, I'll try to keep it short. After one semester, then I went to, um, 
UW-Whitewater because I just saw that they were going to probably use that guy because they wanted an extra uh, travel spot for uh, for traveling. Um, so then I was at Whitewater in the spring and uh, had a jump start because their senior graduated. So I had a jump start on competition then in the fall. And then uh, in the fall, when I, with like about four days left at camp, they brought in a, a pro Australian putter punter named Joe Gardner, who was a 26 at the time when I was 19 and he could bomb the ball. And he, uh, he beat me out at the end. And, um, so then I gray shirted. So I took less than 12 credits. It was, I took like 11 and a half gray shirting in D3 just means like, you know, you're not, you're not using, you're not like using it towards your eligibility. It's kind of like a red shirt of D1 and D2. Um, but short crediting, is, is like a loophole in the system. So you can save that semester of eligibility. Um, uh, the head coach at the time was Lance Leipold, who's now doing really well for Buffalo and now for Kansas. Um, and then, so yeah, so then he, after one semester, Joe, who I'm friends with today, I actually just uh, ran a kicking camp with him the other day. He um, went to the Browns that next season for camp and he was there like up until like the preseason and then he kept uh trying to do nfl camps and stuff and then that next season i was looking to be the guy and i um had a knee injury three weeks before the season so then that so then um i was able to kick you know towards the end of camp but they still didn't uh, let me on the team so i gray shirted again and then i ended up actually transferring finally to UW Stout. So I was a fourth year in college, but a freshman on the field. And then I played four seasons for UW Stout. Um, and they were great seasons and had a great time. So it was a long journey to get there, but I got finally got to Stout, so. You know, and it, you did, you had a lot of success at Stout. You ended up being a D3 first team all region. Um, I believe, the guy, because you were also the holder at Stout, you weren't just the yeah. Player. So I like I like to say, and my my best friend Drew Pearson, I like to say I was an All American holder, and my snapper Clay Zekin was an All American snapper because uh, in 2016 he was an All American, and our connection was just money, and there's nothing like it. Can't describe it. So, so I want to get right into that because for folks who don't realize, like a lot of specialists, especially at small schools. They're not only the punter, they're the holder, you know, and we see it in the NFL a lot too. And actually it was interesting that, you know, I was watching the Browns game this past Sunday and the Browns punter is a guy by the name of uh, Corey Bohorquez, who Corey this past year was punting with your Packers. Yeah. And they were talking about how Corey got released from the Packers, but led the league in punting in net yards, I believe was the stat he led it in, but they right. let him go because he was a below average holder. Can yeah. And what, so I, I guess we'll start I have an there. answer. I have an answer for you for that. Yeah. What, what goes into being an above or below average holder and things of that nature? So uh, Borquez, I think that's how you pronounce it. He's actually a lefty. So he's a lefty holding for a righty. So if I'm right, um, if I'm right-handed holding for uh, a righty, I'm going to have um, my left, my left hand back and my right hand out. And when I catch it, I'm going to, I'll have my dominant hand on top of the ball and I'm bringing it down. And then I have my, my dominant hand able to either spin the ball or, you know, manipulate it any way I need to, if the snap's not good. When you, when you switch that. So I guess I'm describing it if I was holding for a lefty kicker 
you know, so then if I'm holding for a lefty kicker, it's reversed. So now I have my less dominant hand in charge of spinning that ball. And it's, and it sounds like it's, it's not, you know, difficult, but you have to be perfect for that. It's literally half a second, you know, you're catching that ball. So I think, um, and I'll also give Bor uh, Borquez uh, some credit. Hunter Bradley was our snapper who I know for the Packers and they let him go mid season, which is a crazy thing to do because your rhythm of no one ever talks about the rhythm of the holder and snapper. So there's a rhythm of it where like, I know my snappers tendencies, if I've been with him for a while, I know where his misses are, if they're inside, outside, the speed of it and all that. Well, mid-season, they changed that. They changed uh, Hunter. I think he was – he might have been battling also, though, an elbow injury, but I'm not too sure. Um, and so he had a new snapper that he worked with, plus he's working with a veteran kicker who Crosby – I've heard nothing but good things, but he, you know, he's got a, probably a process and a way he likes it done. And with a young guy, that's a lefty, if he's struggling, you know, that could, you know, I don't know if Crosby ever said anything to, to the staff or not, but I do know that some of those, um, some of those holds might've been because of the new snapper um, because he's holding for with his non-dominant hand. Um, but I'm sure now he's worked on it and I haven't seen him because I haven't seen that a lot of the Browns games, but um, I hope that he's, he probably worked on that all off season was probably just holding. And that's something that I work on. And I, and I um, actually do a lot of basketball drills to get my hand speed up. So I will say Brown special teams, they've had high moments this year. Cade York hit that walk off 58 yarder week one against Carolina. Um, The Browns are in a little bit of a transition right now. Rookie kicker. Um, yeah, Cade York, he's a, he's a heck of a kicker, though. I've seen him kick live, so he's, he can boom the ball. So I got it, you know, for folks who haven't picked up on it yet, the punting and kicking community is a very tight community. Once you kind of get in and you get established in these camps and, you know, going to different tryouts and being in different leagues, you get to know each other. And I've, I've heard from several people, it's a very tight community. Can you speak on kind of that? You know, I've always heard being the kicker, being the punter can be the loneliest job sometimes when you're a pro. Can you speak on the community and kind of the brotherhood that the specialists seem to have? So I was really brought into the community um, through, it's called Cole's Kicking. Um, Jamie Cole was from Waukesha, where I, uh, where I grew up, and that's where he grew up as well. And um, I got introduced to this kicking camps basically when I was a sophomore, junior in high school. And when I wanted to take it more seriously, I would do these kicking uh, camps every Monday night. And um, there's a, a, a bunch of different kicking camps around um, the whole U.S. Um, I'd say Cole's Kicking is probably the largest uh, with quantity and the amount of camps and stuff like that. But there's there's tons of other ones. And uh, kickers go to all these camps and mainly in the off season and summer. Um, I actually just coached one though, a fall like assessment one, um, this past uh, yesterday, but, uh, at these camps, if it's like a, you know, like a scholarship camp or like a camp that you're trying to, um, rank yourself, um, the high school one for Coles kicking gets access now of close to, I think 700 to 800 athletes of high schoolers from the U S to, to compete, to be the top kicker, punter, and long snapper. 
and then just doing these things and then um you know doing these camps you meet these guys and then we're all we're all really the same kind of every specialist is goofy and we're pretty weird so we all like you know I never want a, a guy to miss a kick yeah yeah I'm cheering for them to to make it because it's it's one of the hardest things to do and um you know let the offense and defense do that obviously I want to win the game so maybe if a kicker I know is is against me and he's kicking a game winner maybe then I want him to to miss it or have it blocked so that he doesn't have to miss it but you know really we're cheering for each other um generally to be successful and then through now Instagram and that in the world of um you know Pat McAfee helping out for the for the brand has really helped uh bring us together and it's just a, a fun community that everyone can um really just be themselves and I really haven't met uh, a mean or a mean specialist before so you know and you yourself have gone on to a you know very nice pro career you you punted two seasons in the spring league um for folks who aren't familiar with the spring league believe it began in 2017 ran till this past year um had a lot of success had some big name guys who played in the nfl and helped actually get some guys to the nfl can you talk a little bit of what it was like? I believe in the spring league, you averaged a little over 46 yards a punt. So had a lot of success there, but how did you get connected with the spring league and what was that process like? So I got connected with the spring league through an application. Um, I believe they actually started up of like their original uh, spring league back in 20, I think 14, 2014 or 15. And, um, uh, Brian Woods, who I know, his his goal, he found a niche where, all right, there's all these free agents. We need, you know, like, what do they need to get into a league or into an NFL? Well, the biggest the biggest thing I can have or any free agent can have is recent film. So you can go to these camps that scouts will be at and they'll evaluate you. And if you don't perform, you know, lights out that day or above and beyond, you know, they're going to either cross your name off or you're not going to get looked. So they wanted to create a a system where they bring in free agents, you practice for a week, play game, get that film, and then it's done. So how the spring league used to work was like, I did one back in um, 20, it was 2019. I think it was 2019, yeah, in Vegas. Yeah, in Vegas, yeah. In Vegas, I did one, and we arrived like on a Monday, Tuesday. I think we arrived on a Tuesday. We had a game on um like a scrimmage on like Saturday then. So we had like, you know, it was team A versus team B versus team C. And then it was just a way to get film, but it's crazy. Like we're learning an offense and defense. For me, obviously it's easier because I just have to either punt or hold the ball, but still get that connection with all the, the stuff because everyone wants to get that film. So that's how it originally started was just, you know, a way to get film. Johnny Menzel probably was their biggest first big name they got um, back back then. And then um, COVID hit right when we were, when I was coming back from that spring league in the airport, that, that Dallas Maverick game, it happened. And there was like people in hazmat suits spraying down the airport. Uh, when, when I was about to come home, we were friggin' nervous because I was a, just in Vegas. We were staying in a Vegas hotel, eating from a buffet. And, you know, we had people from all around the, the U S and even country. My snapper was from Japan. I'm like, well, I definitely 
I'm going to get COVID. And back then it was scary and I ended up not, but um, then that, that, that was 2020. And then in the fall of 2020, they, they made that the first quote unquote spring league in San Antonio. And then that's when they had, was it six teams? Was it, I think we had six teams in San Antonio and COVID we would get tested uh, like every day. And then COVID shut down that. So I think we only got three or four games. Um, and I was with the Aviators with coach, head coach Terry Shea. We played in the Alamo Dome. It was an awesome experience. We were on Fox. We were on Fox, I think. Was it Fox 2? Or what's the – I forget what the Fox – the other one is. But we were at random times, like 10 p.m. games, 11 p.m. games. And they were super late. Uh, I remember one team um, – they had some guys that have COVID and we were supposed to play on like the next day, let's say like Wednesday. And this team was supposed to play Tuesday. Well, they had to fill the TV spot. So we went to practice and had practice Tuesday. And then we got back, we were, you know, relaxing and, and putting our feet up and we got a text message saying, Hey, you got 40 minutes to get on the bus. We're playing tonight actually, because this team can't. So there's, there's a lot of stuff like that that happens, and that's just part of being in these developmental leagues that, you know, the, the guys that have been in the pros that come down, they complain about it. But for me, you know, I need to get this film. So, you know, you just – it's who can you – know, who can who can handle um, adversity the best, and you just got to, you know, conquer through that. But um, we actually we actually made it to the – championship game which then they delayed in january and we were playing in the camping world stadium in orlando and then um they had their first tsl winner we lost uh, a lot of our good players didn't come back uh like mcleod bethel thompson he was our he was our qb he was uh he's out in the cfl and he's led the the league in, uh, for passing for a couple of years i know in the past and I think he's doing well this year. I, I haven't really checked up on him. Um, but we had a lot of our good players that, that released, so we lost. And then that next year, it got really professional where we, we had a division of four teams in Indianapolis playing with the Colts play and then in the Lucas Oil. Then we had four teams of the South playing, um, was it Rice? I think it was Rice Stadium. And then um, we never played each other, those four teams, until the, the championship game. And we unfortunately went 0 and 6. So we did not get that opportunity to, uh, to do that. But you no, know, it was a really fun experience. That one, that, that was more on Fox. We had some Fox primetime games. Um, primetime is in like, I, we never had an afternoon one, but like, like 7 p.m. There's one game that we were after, a second game, and it was, it went into overtime. So our game started. I think close to like 1130 at night and we didn't get done playing till like 220, 230 in the morning. And it was, we're like, no one's watching this game, but you know, everyone's getting the film. So we're happy. And our hotel was connected to the Lucas oil. So I was really fortunate to have those opportunities and make the connections I have and the players and coaches and organization. But and then that league now, Brian Woods uh, sold that to Fox and then Fox made that now the USFL. So you know, and first question I got to ask in regards to the spring league is you as a D3 guy, a lot of folks have this misconception and we've addressed it time and time again on this show 
that D3 is somehow people go D3 because they're not good enough to go D1. And it's just not the case. There's a lot of things that go into D1 to D3, but talent is not solely it. There's a lot of guys who, I mean, you know, Whitewater just put Quinn Miners in the NFL and all he's done is earn a starting job last year as a rookie with the Denver Broncos. So we've seen D3 can put him in the league. What did you notice when you were going up against these D1 guys? In your opinion, what was the biggest difference between the D3 and the D1 guys? So position-wise, are you or more um, just overall, like any position? You can go position-wise. Oh, that would actually, okay. yeah. So, like, position-wise, um, you know, they, they might have the appeal for, for punting specifically pretty tall. Like, you know, they're going to be 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, you know, type, you know, levers of, of, of punters um, per se. Um, but I would say like back, I guess when I was, you know, there wasn't, there was the Coles had their big scholarship camp. Some other camps had their big ones, but exposure wise, there's more opportunities for, you know, specifically punters, kickers and snappers now to get ranked or however you want to say it, um, to show how good they are now to prove. And then colleges have now trusted these kicking camps to um uh, with their rank to then promote them to get scholarships but um i think generally a lot of people don't know this but depending on the year there's only probably i'd say less than i'd say well less than 10 10 scholarships that actually go to a freshman kicker punter or snapper i'd say it'd be it's very very rare that uh a, a guy coming out of high school which a lot of kids don't know to get a scholarship uh, or at least a full ride, you know, right away. Uh, but position, other position wise, it's, it's really like appeal of, of height, weight, uh, speed that, you know, like the lines of D one guys are going to be, you know, minimum of maybe I'm not saying for everyone, but maybe like, like six, four and up, um, you know, and, and D three, we still have some six, five, six, you know, six dudes, but it's not as consistent, I would say as, as the D1 level for sure. So, and I also think maybe the D1 level too. Um, I, I would say that I was a guy that developed late too for either punting wise or just like my body wise, I developed a little um, late one, you know, in the weight room and stuff like that. And as I got into college, I find that my body started finally getting stronger. I grew, got a little taller, stuff like that. So, um, so there's a lot of kids that, you know, they, they can't do anything about it because of their, you know, genetics. But yeah, I would say, yeah, that's probably the biggest is for position wise. You know, I've seen small, small kickers that, you know, have performed really well at these camps that, you know, get that D1 offer. So uh, for specialists, it's very much um, unless, you know, coaches or have really, really good high school film, which a lot of high schools aren't kicking that much. So like some guys might only have four kicks a game. Now, punting is a different story, but it's harder to find a, a good high school punter than it is a good high school kicker. But, um, I mean, I know athletes now, and you know, not to go off track, but, like, there's, like, specifically, I, I know an athlete of Jake Weinberg. He's down in Florida. I forget his high school, but I've worked with him and um, his coach, Tony Bajea, and he, he – I've seen him hit, you know, a 65-plus yard field goal. Um, you know, 80, 80 plus yard kickoffs. 
So like, it's cool to see that that wasn't really happening when I was in high school. There was maybe a couple guys, but like, it's just getting better. The game's getting better. And I would say that in every position, it's like kids are starting younger. And I, I feel like every position is getting more specialized and just better overall. So, and I think as you know, we as a society evolve in technology and stuff, more guys are giving back. I look at guys like Nick Novak, the former Chargers kicker, just held a mm-hmm. you know clinic with a bunch of guys who are trying to get into the XFL. You see guys like Shane Graham, the former Bengals kicker, does a lot of work with people. You brought up Pat McAfee and the work he's done. And, you know, you see guys giving back now. I, you talked, though, about being an athlete as a punter. And I got to touch on this because I was going over your stats. And you were not just a punter. You were Mr. Dual Threat himself. I believe I saw a six-yard rush in your college career. Um, I yeah, I had a six-yard rush. Um, that was that was my first year at Stout. Uh, I'm happy to say I have 31 collegiate pass yards. Um, very, very proud of that. My coach was very fond of me uh, doing um, doing fakes. I do have one pick against our rival, UW-Eau Claire. Um, I threw it. I threw it a little inside and it was a pick uh, right before halftime. So I'm pretty, pretty salty still to this day about that one. But um, yeah, no, I, how, I guess it's really changed the culture of, of specialists. Um, I would say, you know, not that this isn't every team, but the culture was like, you weren't considered an athlete or a football player sometimes as a specialist um, in in um in in the college per se and I I was a wide receiver and I was a tight end my senior year for football but then once you're a peer specialist you're like okay you know everyone's thinking you're weird and stuff so how I guess how I wanted to prove to my teammates that I cared was um if if they were in film during during camp I was out on the field just dropping the football for an hour and a half until they got out. And then once I saw them get out, then I would be done. So I was always making sure I was working on my craft while they were working on theirs so that I can get that respect from those players that, okay, this kid's working as hard as I am. Cause that's like the biggest thing for a football team is you want to, you want to know that every person on that team is working as hard as you. And, um, and then another way I could show that was the weight room. So I started finding out in college, Hey, and I wasn't, you know, I was in the weight room in, in high school, but not like I was in college. In college, I really was like, I'm going to I'm going to be stronger than this guy, than that guy, than that position group. And I want to be, you know, I was running. I remember when I was at Whitewater, I would run with the receivers. I was running with Jake, uh, Jake Kumaro, who's been he was another guy that's been in the league. And I would just try to push myself to be, you know, of the best athlete I could be. And then in return, I saw a lot of good things happen then in my kicking game, in my punting game from, from doing so. You know, and I was looking at your numbers at your pro day, the uh, local Wisconsin private school pro day, you put up 16 reps on the bench. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What? So I got to ask, you know, cause a lot of people think punter big leg, how does having that kind of upper body strength help you as a specialist? So I would say as a specialist, first off, it helps with uh, photos. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, it's it's something where having a good upper body, uh, it's more or less core strength, um, I would say. 
Um, I mean, every movement you do, you know, technically in the weight room, you can incorporate your core and your core strength. Um, upper body to me is more of a, a fun, fun lift. You don't really, you don't really need a strong upper body to punt or kick or uh, maybe, but snap a football, maybe snap football you do, but to punt or kick, you don't really need a too bit too strong of one, but it's more or less, I treated that pro day and I still do is um, the, the NFL is, is a business. So if you don't look the part, you're not going to get your opportunity. And I know that's, that's, it's just the, it's part of the truth, part of the reality. So, you know, I, how I market myself is I, I want to look the part. I don't want an NFL guy to have any reason to cut me because, you know, Oh, he's a little tubby or that not saying you can't be, a little overweight and be a punter in the in the football league you, you sure can with your numbers but if you're coming from a smaller school or coming from the bottom you really gotta have nothing for them to say that would you know that would prevent you from from getting because our coaches from these spring leagues have told us like you know you're late to one meeting boom like if you're the same level as this you know, guy A and guy B, but you were late one time. Okay. You're, you're, you're done. Here's your book. You're, you know, passing your, your playbook. You're done. And that's just the reality of, of the business of that league. And they have to find oh, our coach, coach Shea always told us that they, Terry Shea, they're always looking for a reason to cut you because they have to make cuts and it's the hardest part of their job. But he said, we are always looking for reasons to cut you, not, not per se reasons to keep you. So and, and that depends on the team and, you know, whether you're a really talented player or if you're just trying to get into the league. So, you know, and you didn't end at the spring league. You were a part of what is now, you know, kind of a little bit of a controversy, but major yeah. league football and major league football had a lot of promise, um, had <laughs> a lot of excitement with it. Some, you know, a lot of, a lot of potential, there was teams coming along and then it just all kind of stopped. And there's been kind of a dark cloud around Major League Football. I want to get into that a little bit. What was your experience like, first off, while the league was running? What was your experience like as a player? So my experience as a player, I was very thankful for the opportunity. Um, they were going to pay us actually pretty well per game, um, plus like a win bonus. It was I believe two grand a game with, with 500 win bonus, which um, I think it was publicly posted and stuff like that. But as a player per week, that's, that's pretty good for, I'd say any job, especially to, to play football. So that's, that's something that very much intrigued me. Another thing that intrigued me about the league was that my head coach of, of the aviators from the spring league was going to be the head coach of the Virginia Armada, the team that um, he asked me to be on. And um, back um, just rewinding back um, to 20, uh, the 2020 spring league, I had a snapper named Brian Corey. And then he actually started getting workouts with the Ravens, the Patriots, and he's been in and out of workouts and he's just right on the fringe of, of becoming um, an NFL, a full-time NFL snapper. And he's still, he was just at the XFL workout with Nick Novak. And uh, I haven't asked him how he did, but, you know, best of luck to him. But then in 2021, we were looking for a snapper and I helped uh, recruit uh, my snapper from Stout, Clay Zekin. Um, 
and I showed him the film and yeah, he was our snapper. So then fast forward to major league football. Um, I asked, uh, he, they asked if clay could do it too. So when one of your best buddies is, is going to be able to, uh, you know, snap to you, plus it's paid, plus it's your head coach. It's, it was a really, really good opportunity for me to showcase, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really ready for this and possibly to get into the, the USFL, XFL, NFL, CFL to get more film. That's, that was the end goal of that plus make some money. Um, experience wise, I loved it. I think our team was the closest team. Uh, like our whole team would, you know, be in the lobby of the hotel um, conversing with each other. Our team, there was two teams in like a Marriott, one team, and like a home to suite. And then we were in a holiday inn and we by far were in the, it was a night, it was a nice hotel, but it was definitely the worst, the worst uh, hotel. And we took that to heart and we kind of were like this gritty team and uh, all of us were together. And we had one scrimmage though. We were, able, I think it was like a week and a half in and uh, we only let, I think three points. It was a jamboree. So it was like, you know, your offense plays that team's defense. So the four teams all kind of played each other. We only punted really twice, but they didn't rush. And it was the only special teams really was like field goal, but they didn't, they didn't rush, but our team really, really did well there. So we were really just bummed that, you know, our team was going to, to really win. And um, about two weeks in the, there was word that they, um, as a player, we didn't really know what was happening. I actually was in my coach, uh, coach's hotel room when it happened, or my head coach is, and we, he was a player wanted the number I had for his grandma. So I, I was going to give it to him. And then he was telling me the numbers I could pick from. And then the other coaches came to the room and said, Hey, we got an issue in the lobby. So I guess what happened for our hotel specifically, the hotel staff went to each floor, took all the players and said, Hey coaches, there's a meeting. So we all go down and we had practice at night that day. So we all go down into the lobby. I go down from coach's room and we're like, what's the issue? And uh, turns out that they got us out of our room and then they, they locked all of our cards so we couldn't get back in. And they said, no one's leaving here with their stuff until they pay. So then we got word from the other hotels that they were shutting down as well. And it kind of was like, okay, anxiety was, was kicking in. People were panicking, like, was this league folding this? Like, you know, you know, some guys were like, what's that? You know, they were saying, saying bad stuff about it. And I'm like, let's just calm down. We don't know this situation. We, we don't, we don't know anything. And then, um, then our head coach was, was heated. Well, he wasn't heated. The hotel manager was just yelling at our coach saying, Hey, you know, we're not in charge of this paying this. He said, well, you guys are here. So you guys are, he's like, some of these guys can't afford, you know, to get home. So like, how are we going to afford to pay? I think we owed the hotel, like, I don't know, it was probably upwards of 70,000, $80,000. And uh, he was going to make everyone pay for their stuff. We're like, well, we don't even have our wallets because you locked it in our room. <laughs> so um, so now we're just the, the team across the street from us, Arkansas, they actually got back from their practice and they were locked out. So they had at least we didn't practice yet. So we we didn't have a, we weren't all sweaty, but we're just waiting there. Our, ho our coaches are trying to convince this hotel manager just to last back in our room until we figure things out. Like nothing, you know, nothing's going to happen. 
and uh, my our, my kicker uh, Tyler Bash, um, who's a phenomenal kicker, and I hope he told he just called me last night. He did well in the XFL tryout. Um, he uh, he talked to one of the hotel uh, cleaners and said, "Hey, can you get me in my room?" So then we were able to all get back in our rooms without the hotel management seeing because of that. But it would. <laughs> What ended up happening was um, it they we the hotel agreed you know to let us get our stuff and then and then leave after our a lot of a lot of talking, um, but our head coach Terry Shea I just want to mention he he is one of the the nicest coaches I've ever and true hearted coaches there is out there period he paid for everyone um, in our um, whole staff uh, training staff. Um, players, coaches to stay one more night to find another hotel. And I'm not saying the other coaches weren't nice enough to do that. Um, but he, he did that, you know, probably cause he is, you know, older and has experience and has probably has some money saved up, but that was one of the humblest things I've ever seen a coach do. So I stayed there another night and then I ended up driving back with my snapper clay and uh, one of our trainers, who's a trainer up at the University of Minnesota, we drove back from Alabama then that next morning. But um, experience wise, we were told then that they were going to possibly get that league back started for a couple of games. So we were in limbo for a while and then it just never ended up happening. And um, uh, it was a rough couple last months for me. Um, I left my job for that um, and then wasn't able to get it back. They, they hired someone else. Um, but I've, I've found work uh, since then, and um, I was able to then coach, which I have been the last uh, four or five seasons with the UW Stout, helping with the specialists and uh, special teams scouting stuff. So, But overall, uh, they, they claim that they're going to still have the 2023 season um coach Shay and the updates um now i doubt that that will happen but um only time will tell but uh, i guess out of the league i got some good film i know other guys were put in the same situations like me with losing their job and i know coaches left jobs to do it and it was a big a big thing so um you know i try to take everything with a grain of salt and i know some people were affected maybe harder than i was and i have a good support system um, so overall it was a okay experience. <laughs> Wasn't so, the best. Did the league ever release? I never ended up seeing, did the league ever release an official statement? Um, did the, did the, any front office personnel ever reach out to you personally as a player to like give a statement of, or anything? So yeah, they, they, uh, we got an email saying, um, saying i mean i could actually find it up here too but it basically was saying like um you know they they explained how they couldn't access this like equity fund of 10 million because they switched locations um they had no intention of this and um here's why it was delayed we we want to get this back up and running we're so very sorry um i guess what players and i guess you know looking back i was too was the the reason why a lot of players were mad was that we weren't getting any responses from Frank Murtha, who, who I know personally, and I know he's a nice guy. So, but they just, no one was responding uh, like Frank Murtha 
Um, except like he was talking to coaches, head coaches and stuff like Terry Shea said he would talk to him um, or would respond to his calls and stuff like that. But like, so like the operation team, we weren't getting like, Hey, like this is happening. Sit tight. We're trying to figure it out. And then after a couple hours, then I guess they got some information. I was like in the lobby trying to listen in at what information they could get, but we, it, when it happened, there wasn't much information. And I think maybe they didn't have that information to give because I think they thought in, in my, in what I believe is I think they really couldn't access it. And it was a shock to them because I don't know anyone that would bring all these people together, all the planning. No one knows all the planning it takes to, to get a football game on TV. It's insane. Just like with the venue, the city has to approve it. You have to get uh train. We, we had, four or five trainers on every team you got to get coaches you got to get players like then you got to get referees you got to get a venue for the stadium hotels food food for the players travel for players to go to practice and back travel to the game so i don't i don't i don't think they meant for that to happen at all so so i want to get into a little bit and you talked about it you've been a specialist coach at uw stout for a little bit you also do some private you know, camps and clinics with some of the guys you've met. Um, I want to get into that a little bit. I want to start with, you know, when you're when you're coaching some of these guys, some of these high schoolers and some of the specialists you've coached with at, you know, UW-Stout, what do you look for in a kid? What, what separates a kid where you're like, hey, that kid, there's some potential there. That kid could go on to do something. And how, how do you kind of tap into that with a younger kid? Uh, specifically for you're saying like for kicking and punting so so tapping into so what we look for when we recruit or um i guess so you're saying can you you say the question again yeah so basically like when you're whether it be recruiting a kid to stout specifically or you know at these clinics when you're working with these guys what do you what are you seeing from a kicking and punting standpoint that, you know, in your head, you're like, yep, that guy's got something to work with there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So besides like the, it's very clear right away. If a kid is, is, you know, good at kicking a football or snapping based on, you know, whether they just bombed one right in front of you. Um, But I guess the clear indicator, which, which you look for is consistency. And that's something that, you know, I still work on today with, that which every kicker, punter, snapper works on in, in the NF, any league out there is how consistent can you be? So when we look at these high school athletes, we're looking at, okay, here's, here's their A ball. So their best ball, we call it A ball. Well, is their miss hit acceptable? So like when they don't have the best ball, is it still going, you know, 30, 35 yards as a high schooler, or is it a complete chink? So is it, you know, a really good chain. Other things you look for is just um, is form wise. So like how how good like are they taking two steps as a punter? Are they taking three steps as a punter? You want to you want to generally be uh, a, a jab two, a pure two, or a one and a half step for punters. Uh, same thing for field goals. You want to be like a jab or just a pure um, two step for for field goals. And then, um, so looking at their form, you can tell like, okay, this guy's, this guy, let's say he's really, really good, but kind of spotty. Um, 
and his form's not as well or not as not as good. So you can so when I see that, I'm like, okay, his leg strength is there. He just looks like he hasn't had a lot of coaching. So if this guy, if if I met this kid and he seems like a coachable guy or talked to their head coach and he said he's, you know, a very coachable guy, then I think I could I could really mold that 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 athlete into uh, the player they they could be. Um, the guys that are getting those D1 scholarships are the guys that are consistent. So their mishit is still going the distance, just, you know, it's two yards left of the, the upright. That's like their mishit. And um, every year we see kickers that are hitting the ball farther and more consistent constantly every year with the community growing and just how I think people are training and, and doing stuff like that. So, um, so physically wise, th those are probably the points that I look for in um, a kicker that has like potential. Um, and then if you talk to a kid, I'm going to, I'm going to look and, you know, get a general idea about how he is, how his grades are, you know, does our, our does our university have what, you know, he wants because, um, you know, academics um, come first, even though people don't want to say that it, it does because football will be done, you know, eventually for, for everyone, even me, and you got to have something else to carry that. Um, and then if all those boxes are checked and stuff like that, you know, I'm going to be, you know, asking him what, what are his attributes? Like what, what can you bring to the team and how can you impact the team as a specialist? And um, where do you see yourself? What are your goals? Do you want to have? And those are, those are questions I, I definitely ask our kickers, punters, and snappers. And um, yeah, that's probably, that's probably just about it with then the recruiting process. Um, I haven't done as much as our um, coaching staff at UW Stout has, has done that for more, for a lot of it um, because of these leagues I've been in. So I haven't been able to, there's been times where I have been asked to, to meet the athlete and stuff like that, but uh, recruiting wise, I haven't done as much as, as, uh, as I could like per se yet in my coaching career. You know, and if it hasn't been made abundantly clear, you are a Wisconsin guy through and through, which means that you are going through this green Bay Packers season as a yes. fan. Um, yep. So I got a couple questions for you in regards to that. Um, you know, on this show earlier this year, my co-host Logan, let us know that the Packers weren't going to win the NFC North. And he said it was because you guys didn't have wide receivers. Yeah. We're, we're seeing you, you don't have wide receivers. So I, now I will say, I will preface this by saying I have Alan Lazard on my fam, fantasy team. I do too. I do too. I'm He's a not fan of Alan bad. Lazard. I loved him at Iowa state. Um, yeah. What, do you think the Packers have a second second half push this season? I mean, I know they go to Buffalo next week. That could get ugly oh, quick. I'm nervous about that Sunday night game. It's a Sunday night game, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it could be very brutal for us. Uh, I mean, I like to stay optimistic. I always have. I mean, even as a kid, you know, my idol growing up was was Brett Favre, and as of recently, now uh, you know people have mixed things with the. Uh, whatever scandal he was just in with uh, it was only a few million a few <laughs> million so you know maybe I shouldn't be saying that I was but I guess what I loved as a kid was how you know how he played the game in his heart and that's I like to say that's that's what you know got me to really love football was watching him play um not the off the field stuff but uh, I think 
I think when you have Aaron Rodgers, no matter how bad or whatever he's going through, I think you do have a chance to win a football game, um, no matter who you're playing. Um, but giving the chemistry of the offense, I just don't think it's there. And it's a little scary because what we're going to game eight now. So basically halfway through the season, I thought we would be um, clicking by now, but it seems like we're not. And there's just so much stuff that, that like people don't, you know, realize. And I, I haven't played at the NFL professional level, but being in these other leagues, like you got these guys that are, you know, all trying to come together for a common goal to, to win a football game. So I think as long as the players don't jump ship, and I'm, I think Rogers said this on the Pat, the Pat McAfee show, as long as the players still believe in each other and play and want to play together, I think that's going to be the, you know, deciding factor if they can either just stay a mid-level team or even be a better than it, like, you know, maybe get a wild card spot. But if they start like going, okay, you know, this season's over. I just want to get filmed. They're all about me. Then, then I, I mean, they could, they could potentially not win another game, but uh, I think with the Packers and the fan base, I think they will figure it out some way. I mean, I can't imagine Matt LaFleur not figuring out something. And I just think they just haven't looked or maybe they just haven't had the right game plan of what, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't even like watching them play. doesn't even look like the Packers, I guess, you know, cause. I think what it is personally, and this has been, you know, it was reported that they were going to try and shuffle it, but Bakhtiari's injury and him not yep. being able to go yesterday, the O-line, I think if you could get Elton Jenkins who Jenkins yep. at one point was like, elite all pro if you could kick him back into guard and you could get that tackle spot figured out get Jenkins back to guard I like Runyon he does some nice things you know but if they could get the O-line figured out you got some pieces there with Jenkins Bakhtiari I think Josh Myers you know we sent you a Buckeye up there at center and Josh Myers I I like him so I think it's the O-line I did want to ask you though you know Logan and I have been trying to figure out Mason Crosby and you, you hit on it earlier. He's a veteran. He's been around forever. But the one thing that's so surprising with a guy like Mason Crosby, if you look at the rest of the league, you get a guy who misses a few kicks in a season, you know, Mason Crosby, I think had a couple of years where he's missed four or five kicks in a season mm-hmm. for some guys that cost them a job. I mean, less than that. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen guys like Cody Parkey. I've seen Aldrick Rojas, you know, mm-hmm. pro bowler with the Giants. Can't really – he got in trouble off the field, hasn't been able to latch on. I know he was with the Jaguars for a second. But, like, why do you think Mason Crosby has been able to stick? Even, you know, the ups, the downs, he just continues to keep the spot. I think he has made – I would love to hear the stat of, like, the, the, the clutch kicks he has made in his career or when he's had the opportunity – I would love to, to know that stat because I think that's what carries him the most is that I know people look at him like he's like 45 years old, but I think he's only 36. It's just his, his, uh, his white hair or his gray hair makes him look older, but um, his consistency, I, I believe with um, I'm assuming in practice, I bet in practice, he is just, you know, absolutely consistent and his, his like resume he was able to build enough where that one rough year he had, I think was at Mike McCarthy's last year of coaching. 
or I think Mike McCarthy, I think he was still there, but uh, he had that one really rough year. I forget when, but because of that resume, they gave him one more shot. And I guess what people don't know is they bring in, they bring in kickers, you know, sometimes even during the week, you know, to go up against them, to keep him sharp, to keep him saying like, Hey, there's other people, you know, every Tuesday in the NFL, they bring in guys to train, to try out. And, you know, they're always, you know, having that. But I think the way Crosby can be a professional, he's, he's, he's a professional of being a professional. Like he is the process he has on training and how his setup of the, of the, of his uh, steps and the way that he can hit a football has carried him to where he's been in his career. I know sometimes he doesn't have the prettiest football, but they go in and that's all that matters. So it makes him make, so I think all those attributes have have kept him in this league, and um, you know, and I I think he's got like six kids. Um, I think he's a five or six kids. He's got like kids, and I think he's just maybe I think the off. I think he's just a great teammate, and I know Rodgers has had said nothing good, uh, nothing but good things about him. Tim Mastay, um, I've met, and he said nothing but good things about him. Pat O'Donnell, who's their punter. Uh, for the Packers now, who I know, he he said they they this summer had some uh, step brothers. He was uh, Pat O'Donnell was staying in Crosby's basement, so that just tells you the kind of guy he is. Is he's willing to give up his place for his new holder to stay at his house? So I think all those things go into a factor. Now I think it's it's totally based on a team too. So like if he's on another team and he, he missed like that, maybe the other team's cutting him, but someone else is going to pick him up because of it's there's only a handful of few really, really, really clutch good kickers in this league. And they will stay in there as long as they want to, because teams like, even though, okay, you left that team because you weren't making them. Well, this team will bring you in, you know, if, because that you've been in an NFL game coaches like that. It's all about that trust. Can I trust you to put food on my, my uh, family's table to make this kick. So, and that's what it comes down to. And I think he's just got that clutch it factor that some kickers um, either don't have or never get to have it. So. Well, and you were hundred percent, right. Cause I, I was looking it up. Uh, he's six for seven in the last six years in game winning kick situations. Really? Okay. He's six okay. for seven. So uh, that's, that's the best stat you can have as a kicker. right there. So a hundred percent correct on that. He found it that fast. That's cool. Yeah, I hate I, w- I had to look it up because when you said it, I was like that, you know, there, there might be some truth to that. And, you know, yeah. you, you hit on something else too. Your Packers, they give very long leashes. You know, Mike McCarthy had a lot of leeway. I know they did <laughs> eventually end up par- parting ways, but uh, people were clamoring for him to be gone a couple seasons before he was finally gone. You look at a guy like, you know, Ted Thompson, who was your longtime GM. And I mean, yeah. you guys hold on to guys for a long time. So there's, like you brought up, I, I do think the franchise has a lot to do with that. Bring them to Cleveland, and you've seen since Cleveland got rid of Phil Dawson, we've had guys like Travis Coons kicking for us. So, uh, yeah, been a lot of yeah. kickers in Cleveland. But I want to, I do want to ask you because we do end every episode with this question. I want to make it specific to punters and kickers because okay. you talked on it earlier. There's not a lot of scholarships out there for punters and kickers. So, no. you know, if you want film, it doesn't really matter if you go D one or D three, because the full scholarships aren't out there as much. So if you could give advice to a high school kid coming out on, you know, Hey, 
the opportunities in front of you are to go be the third guy at Youngstown State or go be the guy at a UW Stout or a Platteville or Oshkosh or wherever it may be. What would you tell these young kickers and punters about, you know, just making the most of any opportunity they're given? So I would tell them that the beautiful thing about being a specialist is that the field is the, is the same hundred yards with 10 yard end zones from D one NFL, you know, D two, D three high school. So the, the high school posts are, obviously bigger than college NFL, but uh, a 45 yard average for punting is a 45 yard average D2, D3, D1 NFL. Uh, A made field goal, a 50 yard field goal is a 50 yard field goal anywhere else. Now comparing that to maybe the top QB or running back of division one to the top QB or running back of D3, you might see a little separation there. Not saying that those guys, you know, aren't, but you're looking at you can you can be successful at a D3, D2, um, NIAA school, um, also a community college, um, and get film that if you have the drive and the passion and have the support system around you to to make a run at playing after football and I would say also too I was uh, the, the best stat I've had uh, for out of UW stat was my senior year I was uh, a team captain and I took that very much to heart and you can as a specialist um, who inspired me to be a team captain I would say was Thomas Morstead at SMU he was a team captain I believe for two years and I'll never forget when he told our group that that he was a, a team captain. And I remember s- sitting there as a high schooler saying, I want to be a team captain in college and have an impact on my players um, to to want to win and to want to be a good football team. And then not only that is you can have an impact on Menominee, Wisconsin, uh, where Stout is. You can have an impact on that community w- with um, being that football player. When you go to high schools, in that city or wherever you're playing those kids and, you know, elementary schools, we would, we would help out or partner with, you know, different stuff like that. They look up to you like you're, you know, like you're Aaron Rodgers, you're Aaron Jones, you're, you're the, you're the best that to them, you're, you're a superstar. So, that, you know, you can impact and have that same kind of feel and have the town, you know, you'd walk around and some people would know who you are and you never met them. And it's just a you know an older you know gentleman in the community that that really loves watching UW style football, and um, you know when when you do go to any university, you're representing that team, that university, and also your last name. So whatever you do on and off the field is going to be watched. I mean, that's just a general rule of thumb in life in general. But you can have that that you know that D one experience of signing autographs like d3 you know we've had kids come up to us and sign stuff too now it's not to the extent of that but i'd also say um uw stop now we have uh, a guy named uh, noah and he does all of our media and he's got a crew of other other uh, photographers as well on the team 
and they make our school look like it's D1. So every year it's, it's, it's getting even better too with more media has trickled down from D1 to D2 to D3. And um, just, just know that, that going playing at any school for a specialist specifically, you can, you can, if it's the right fit academically and, you know, if you like the coach and everything, you can perform well and, and still have a shot at making it into um, any of these leagues or, you know, professionally, if you're looking to still get, you know, college's attentions, my recommendations would be, you know, if you can afford it, try to go to one of these camps that, that is a showcase camp that you can try to get ranked to show that. Um, if not, um, your huddle film is going to be, or film of your high school games is going to be very important, but a lot of kids don't have a lot of uh, field goal you know, kicks in a season. So then also just filming yourself out on the field, um, kicking by yourself, maybe with a live snap or punting by yourself or snapping by yourself, that film too holds some weight. It's not like the pressure weight of a game, stuff like that. Um, so that's what those showcases do that they can, you know, help do that rank. But I mean, if you have some good, decent high school film and then you got film of yourself also on the side that is really well um, to supplement that that can open up a lot of doors and I know how you can do that is just measure, messaging coaches even through um, Twitter Instagram stuff like that you know Twitter is really the big one um, and then emailing so really simple not like back in the day when you had DVDs so <laughs> Well, Clark, I've had an absolute blast having you on. All right, I talk so much. I could talk forever. Hey, we've we appreciate it. Like I said, we haven't had a punter on in a long time. So we need uh we need to do it again for sure, though, man. Folks, that's all we've got for you guys this time. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. But until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. I'm not afraid of